0: This is Real Estate Rookie episode 221.
1: Just realize in life, life is one big lagging effect. Everything that you have today is a, is, a, is a result of what you did 5, 10 years ago. So you're not going to get anything immediately. So start taking small actions to make a difference in your life 5, 10 years from now. Just suck it up, realize it's not going to be easy or it could be fun, but um, it's, it's not going to be easy to, to, you know, to get where we are. Um, if you want to put in the time, not to say we're, we're, we've fully made it, but we've, we've done really—I I personally think we've done really well.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host Tony Robinson.
1: And
2: welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, information, and amazing stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I oftentimes like to start our episodes with uh, some kind reviews that the other listeners have left for us. So this review comes from Marianne. And Marianne says, great show, all caps, exclamation marks. And goes on to say, I really enjoy the show. After listening to a few episodes, I was totally hooked. It has great direction. It deals with very instructive and interesting topics. I really love this program. So, Miriam, we appreciate you. And for all of you that are listening and have listened, if you haven't yet, please do leave an honest rating and review on whatever platform it is you're listening to. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can help and uh, help them kickstart their investing journey. So, with that out of the way, Ashley Carrie, let's get into some uh, some boring banter. Let me know what's going on in your life these days.
0: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone that has left us a great review. It really does, like, warm our hearts and <laughs> make us uh, feel so happy and um, motivate us to bring you guys even more great content. So thank you to everyone who has taken the time to to leave a review for us. We appreciate it. So uh, this is – we are actually recording this uh, – the end of June. So this is not going to air for a while. So I feel like things are going to change so much over the summer, but Tony is going, uh, overseas for a while. So we've had to stock up on our recordings. Um, I'm going to a lake house this summer for a weekend. <laughs> Tony's traveling the world. So Tony back to you.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we actually take off. Um, I think we have, one more recording, and then I'll be gone for almost two weeks. We're going to uh, to Italy for the first time. So my son graduated from junior high. We thought it'd be a cool like trip to take before he starts high school. So we're landing in Rome, then we're going to uh, to Venice, and then we're finish off uh, in like the Amalfi Coast area. So we'll, we'll see a little bit of a little bit of everything in, in Italy. It'll be fun.
0: I've already sent um, some stills and some headshots so I can be photoshopped into every family group yeah, photo Ash on this Yeah, Ash is going to be
2: photoshopped <laughs> along with us
3: everywhere we go.
0: <laughs> well, today we have Brandon Rush on the show. Uh, Brandon is a house hacker, uh, currently out of Connecticut, and he is going to talk to you guys about how he did his research and how he got started into house hacking, but most importantly, why he chose house hacking. We'll go into the numbers of how he made it work and how it has benefited him and his wife and completely changed their lives.
2: Yeah, and and Brandon lives in Portland, which is not Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine. Like I just learned today, there's a Portland, Connecticut. So, um, But he's got a really cool story about how he was willing to move almost an hour away and, and pretty much just like up in his life uh, to start his real estate investing journey and uh, you know everyone always talks about the units and there's a lot of you know sexiness around how big your portfolio is but people always often overlook the hard work that goes into getting there and I, I thought Brandon did a really good job of highlighting some of the the sacrifices he and his wife has made to put themselves in a position so that he actually just recently left his job a month ago and that's because of the
3: sacrifice he was willing to make Transform your lead generation and deal making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP.
0: Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate?
3: Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so name is Brandon Rush, actually. Uh, I currently reside in Portland, Connecticut. Uh, started out life in uh, New York City, in Queens, New York. Um, Long story short, loved the you know fun life growing up. Very active, sports all over the place. Um, very somewhat early entrepreneurial uh, skills that I had within myself, such as you know shoveling snow, packing bags, doing all whatever I can to make a dollar without having to ask my parents for it was my thing when I was a kid. Um, you know, and that carried over you know into through life. Um, started an IT career. You know, typical thing. Went to winter school. Started an IT career. Um, did that for about. 12 years. um, And kind of the summary of it, um, my wife and I decided at one point that we found out about real estate, um, you know, dug into the the, the books like everyone else, bigger pockets, went deep, and uh, decided that house hacking was how we're going to start. So um, it all got started with that first house hack um, in Connecticut. And um, since then, we've acquired a few more properties. And uh, here we are now, house hacking in our fourth family here in Portland.
0: Brandon, before we go too much further, can you just tell us what those other properties are and just a brief overview of your portfolio?
1: Sure. So currently we own, my wife and I, we own uh, three multis, uh, two triplexes and a quad. Um, all three are located in Connecticut and we've house hacked two of them. So a total of 10 units.
0: Well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you. Uh, amazing. I, I want to know why did you choose house hacking? Why was that the, the first step, the first real estate strategy that you're going to do? What made you make that decision?
2: And Brandon, if you can, for those that aren't familiar with house hacking, just like define that phrase for us as well.
1: Sure, for sure. So house hacking is basically using your residence to make money. Um, it could be either renting out rooms to other individuals. It could be, as we're doing, renting out um, multifamilies, renting out the other apartments. Um, it could also be utilizing the space that you have in your yard, you know, for storage or space in your um, you know, it's really just utilizing the space that you have to make money um yeah and how we got started with house hacking what made us decide um it was really a numbers thing to be honest you know when we first got started out uh, uh you know I I read a book um by Chip and Joanna Gaines and that's how, kind of how it got started uh I believe it was called Magnolia Story and, uh, and that kind of got me started with uh you know living in a multi I mean um buying properties. Um, Chip was talking about buying properties uh, on a street. And I said, this is very interesting. I think this is going to be how we do it. And um, I've always, deep down inside, been looking for a way out of the rat race, to be honest. That was really my motivation. And um, it just clicked. Once I read that book, I ran back home and um, just started running the numbers. And then I started getting deeper into Rich Dad Poor Dad, um, the book on house hacking. And then once you do the numbers and you realize, once you realize it's it's so much cheaper just to just multifamily house hack or house hack in general then to own a single family. Um so that's kinda how we got started. Sorry it's a little bit all over the place, but um
0: yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um I just love to hear as to why people make the decision as to what strategy they're going to start with. Sure. Um so with your with your house hacking, um what was the the first property that you purchased and what did that look like. Um, did you have any kind of analysis paralysis? Was it like, okay, day one we're doing this, we're buying a duplex, and day two you have the duplex?
1: Yeah, sure. So it to be honest, it took us about eight months from beginning to end to, to acquire that first multifamily. Um, it first started actually by we owned um, to kind of take it back. We owned a single family prior to moving into our triplex, so we lived in a single family for three years. So the first hurdle was us coming to terms that. We need to get out of this house and sell it. Um, the second part was um, us then deciding where we're going to move. That was hard because of the market we were in. It was um, it was upper Fairfield County, Connecticut. So it was relatively expensive. And we were looking at cash flow numbers and they didn't quite work for what we wanted to do. But we were committed like we had to do something. This, this, there was no stopping us. So we decided we're going to move an hour away and commute back and forth to work at that point. And the three family. Um, in terms of numbers after that, you know, the properties got significantly cheaper. The first property um, was listed for two twenty three, two hundred twenty three um, thousand. Um, I think they did that just to get prices running. This is two thousand twenty. Um, we offered two eighty six for it. Um, we didn't get it at first, but we followed up with our agent and said, hey, could you check back in? And turns out we were able to get that property um, after a month, after, a month or two after they we went under contract with someone else. So we lucked out just by following up. And um, that was our first house hack, Two hundred twenty-three thousand, two hundred eighty-six thousand 286,000 offer, got accepted. And um, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs>
2: so if I can dive in a little bit, Brandon, so uh, you guys, you're saying a lot of things, but I feel like you're, you're kind of glossing over some of the sacrifices that you guys made, right? Yeah. Um, so you you move an hour away, you decide to do this house hack, you give up this single family space that's just yours. Talk us through why you felt that was the right decision and, and how you were able to overcome like any, I don't know, hesitation you guys might have felt with, you know, upheaving this life that you've already built, this this house you already had and going head like that's like that's like a big sacrifice. So just just walk through your psyche in that moment.
1: I, I would say for me, it was it was a bit easier, as you know, for my wife, not as much, but she came to terms. Um, a lot of it is just thinking about if we had started 10 years ago, where would we be now? That always circles back in my head. If you had done this 10 years ago, where would you be? And I reminded myself, 10 years from now, if you don't do this, what's going to be the excuse for not starting? And it was really as simple as that. It's just, I, you know, and you look at the path in life, all right, my options are to sit here, you know, stay in my W-2, continue to make money. It's great, but what is the, where is the end? Um, you know, where's the end of the tunnel on this? And it re- I didn't see the end of the tunnel for me personally. Um, me working to 65, and retiring off of that just was not an option. So we said, you know what? Age is not a factor. We're just going to do this now. And we will, we will reap the, the rewards of this in 10 years, whatever it may be. Um, so let's just, get, let's just get started now. And that's really what it was. It's just me pushing myself and just moving forward.
2: Yeah, Brandon, that's that's really amazing, man. And I, I think so many people who have the idea of wanting to become a real estate inve- a real estate investor, um, they're not always willing to make maybe the sacrifices that are necessary to really kickstart that that journey that they want to go on. But for you, that I, I don't want to say the. I guess the idea of being, a you know, this kind of corporate slave for the next 30, 40 years was impetus enough to, to make you make that decision. So, I mean, can you tell us right now, Brandon, like what, what are you doing for work? Are you still working in, in a W 2 job or what does your day to day look like on, on the work side?
1: All right. So, I don't want to go too deep into it, but long story short, I left my full time role of 13 years in IT about a, a little of a month ago, actually. So now I'm a full time real estate agent. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome, Brandon. <laughs> and a lot of it does. I would say 90% of it comes from what we decided two years ago that allowed me to be in this position now. If I had stayed with the house, with the car payment, um, it would have just been too heavy to afford to do what we're doing now. So I want to say we've reached financial freedom level 0.5 <laughs> is where we are now <laughs> <laughs> based on the changes that we made. And this is honestly with us making less money. It's it's crazy. We've, we're making less money, you know, but we've made sacrifices that – it just balances out. It's all numbers. And um, we're in a much better place than we were two years ago.
2: Brandon, one other thing you mentioned that I I really want to like drill down on that I thought was really insightful. You said we we, you and your wife kept saying, what if we had started 10 years ago? Like how different would things be? But then on the flip side, and and I think that's a question a lot of people ask, right? A lot of adults will ask that question, like, man, why didn't I start this 10 years ago? But on the flip side, you said, well, where will we be if we don't start today, 10 years from now? And I think like flipping the question around that way is, is like, it, it was just really cool, right? Because it, it kind of eliminates all the, the, you know, beating yourself up for not doing it and it's like, okay, but today is today, we still have the next 10 years, let's make the most of it. So man, I, I really, really love your, your frame of mind there. So one other sacrifice I wanna point out, and you kind of glossed over this as well, you said that you, you guys have had three different house hacks.
1: Two house hacks, sorry. We bought we bought one in between I'm sorry. We bought one investment property out. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. gotcha. Okay. So one of them was an investment property, the other two were house hacks. Right. Still, th- that's a lot of moving, right? Cuz you guys had your single family house, then you went to your first house hack, then you went to your second house hack. Talk us through like picking up and packing and moving your life. I mean, how like how much time is in between those moves and what has that been like?
1: Yeah, so um one thing we learned quickly is having a single family, you collect a lot of junk um it's just it's just straight up it's junk (laughs) so uh um it's funny one of our last pictures before we left our single family was us sitting with our little outdoor table without two seats because that's all we had left for to eat dinner on and um it's really about traveling lightly to be honest like um a lot of reason a lot of people one of the hesitations they'll have with house hacking is what am i going to do with all this stuff um and we realized that quickly we have so much stuff And to make our lives easy, we literally just put it on the lawn, post a Facebook Marketplace. Anything worth under fifty bucks, we just gave it away, um, which was a lot of our stuff. And we sold a lot, and um, we purchased a lot of lightweight um, furniture to make it easier for the move or the moves. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so we just we just knew like, and it's 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 having a lot of stuff. We also it, it makes it mentally heavy on you when you have lots of just stuff to think about. And we had a lot to think about at that time, so getting rid of. Stuff um kind of f- freed up our mind to think about the bigger picture and where we were going with our lives
0: Brandon now that you've you know invested a little bit, you are in a sense financially free. what would be some advice that you would give to someone who is you on day one you somebody who wants to have what you have be able to leave their w two job house hack have a, an investment property what would be like your your action items, things that they can do today to prepare themselves to get to your point, maybe even faster than you did.
1: Sure. Um, I would say start to surround yourselves with um, like-minded individuals. Um, the, 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 one of the biggest challenges with doing what I do is talking to people who don't understand the reason why we're doing it. Um, you will easily get talked about to anyone you walk down the street and say what you're doing. Oh my God, I—I I, how do you deal with tenants? I can never live with tenants. Oh, you know, it's, it's just mumbles but these same people are the ones that are in severe debt and barely making it um but they don't want to you know give up these these small comforts that they have um so i would say one surround yourself with like-minded individuals um another i would say is a delayed gratification like just realizing life life is one big lagging effect everything that you have today is a a result of what you did five ten years ago So you're not going to get anything immediately. So start taking small actions to make a difference in your life five, 10 years from now, just suck it up, realize it's not going to be easy or it could be fun, but, um, it's, it's not going to be easy to, to, you know, to get where we are. um, if you want to put in the time, not to say we're, we're, we've fully made it, but we've, we've done really, I, I personally think we've done really well. Um, and the last tip I would have is, uh, watch your finances. Um, a lot of time, finance. We're very diligent with our finances on a monthly basis, and it's we literally have family meetings and we look at where are we this month. Without, you know, how come we're down five grand or up five grand? What made that change? And you know, I forgot what the term is, but what you what you track, you you know, you know the term. Basically, if you track it, it's- yeah, 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 you know the term, but um. It gets better if you, track, if you track your expenses. You realize that there's something you're doing that's bringing them down or there's something you're doing that's bringing them up and maybe you need to do more of that, whatever that may be. So definitely the third one i say is track your expenses and um, yeah.
2: Brandon, one of the things you mentioned was that, you know, it's hard to find people that understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, especially the idea of living with tenants. And for me, when I think about house hacking, that's always one of my biggest like concerns as well as like, man, living next door to my tenant, like, like what kind of quality of life am I signing myself up for? So have you been self managing your units? And if so, kind of walk us through what that journey has been like for you and, and maybe some of the lessons you learned there as well.
1: Yeah. So, um, Probably one of the most interesting parts of uh, of house hacking. Um, also in Class C neighborhoods, which is where we started. So uh, it's definitely a fun dynamic. Um, I would say, I'm trying to think where we start with that. Um, you know, you're living with your tenants. You have, to have, you have to have expectations right from the start of these are people. The first thing is, these are people, they're renters. They're not going to care for your property the way you care for it. That's one thing I learned quickly. I saw them, you know. There's trash here. There's trash in the backyard. There's their friends hanging out. But you have to realize these people don't own this place, and you also have to realize the class of neighborhood you are in. Um, you know, it's 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 a lot of it's a rental market like where we are. So that's one thing I would say. Low, I don't say lower your expectations, but this is not going to be your single family you had or we had, and where you could walk and say hi to your neighbors. It's a different dynamic. Um,
0: Do they know you're the owner? Do they know you're the owner? Uh, the tenant. Yeah, you
1: know I'm. I live on the edge. I'm kind of a risky person. So I just, I just straight up say I'm the owner and end of conversation. I'll see you later. You know, I, I, you know, I, it's just one of the things I never really thought too much about. Maybe when we grow more, I will hopefully not have to stop saying that because I won't be house hacking at some point. But, um, (laughs) right now it just, it's just one of those things I just want to think much about. So I just tell them I'm the owner. And I also feel like having that relationship with them, um, does help, you know, um, you being responsible, speaking with them, treating not like necessarily like a friend, but like a client of yours that you're respectful of and giving them what they need. It creates a different level of care for the property as well. A lot of my tenants, they care for the property as if it's truly their property. So I never really have problems with, you know, just destruction or anything like that. So we, I have a really good relationship with my, with my tenants. Um, they do talk a lot when we show up. I give them their time. Um,
2: <laughs> Can you talk us through that? So, like, you, you say they talk a lot. Well, I guess first let me ask this, Brandon. Were they inherited tenants?
1: I would say about half of my tenants that I have now were inherited and half were not. Half or new that we brought Okay. In. Yes.
2: So so the ones that you inherited, uh, can you walk us through that initial conversation? Like you say, hi, I'm Brandon. I'm the new owner. And where, where does the conversation go from there?
1: Sure. So I had uh, grabbed all the information from the previous owner, phone numbers, you know, um, their leases and whatnot. And it started with a uh, phone call from me personally saying, hey, this is Brandon Rush. I'm the new owner. I'm going to be on site um next week you know i could be there whenever you're there i'd love to meet with you just to introduce myself and kind of go over the you know not the ground rules but i i I always say things in a nice way but um just the ground rules of how things are going to operate moving forward and you know generally they'll be okay Uh, when you meet with them they're a bit hesitant they're very quiet um they kind of don't know what to expect i think a lot of them think they're just going to tell them hey i'm kicking you out or i'm raising your rent three thousand (laughs) dollars but it was really none of that um and it's just you know in in a respectful but um, um, authoritative way. You, we, I tell them that this is what's going on. You know, I purchased the property. I'm the new owner. Um, this is how you contact me. This will be your new rent. Assuming that there were month to month, this will be your new rent moving forward. I'll give you a month or two to think about it. Um, I never want to just make it so, um, immediate and scary to them that they feel like they have to, um, run away from it. So I'll give them a little bit of time. And, um, you know, I tell them, you know, we're going to sign a new lease. So I never really talk about rules too much because a lot of that will be in the lease. You know, I just kind of set general expectations to keep the place safe and I'll let them know where they could reach me. And I leave it at that. Really is when we get to the lease is where we get down to business and we say, these are the rules, you know, so you're, you're signing or you're not signing.
0: How do you keep the tenants from knocking on your bedroom window saying my toilet is not working?
1: Uh. Not not
2: even on the door but on the bedroom window.
0: The bedroom window. <laughs> there I remember we had a guest on a long time ago that bought um mobile home park and it had like an apartment complex on it and he was moving into one of the units and the person that owned it previously had lived there and the tenants would come knock on his window if they had a maintenance request like that was the old owner's procedure so he had to train the tenants to, to not do that for him but Brandon how do you prevent that and do you have like a procedure in place that they ha- they know to follow so it's doesn't come to that
1: Yes. So um, we do use uh, kind of you asked the question before. So for our property management, we use, we do use Tenant Cloud as our, uh, our property management platform. Uh, but the way I eliminate that is I set expectations from the start. I say these are the ways to communicate with me only. It's either through uh, a text message or a voicemail. Um, please do not knock on my door. I'm very, I I am not going to answer the door. If if I do answer the door, you're there. I'm going to close the door and text you and say, please text me your problem. Um, And they get it from the start. And if they do do it, which I actually never had anyone, maybe one time there was an emergency and someone did knock on the door, which was warranted. But um, you just set the expectations from the start and um, you stick to them. You don't, if they do it, you don't, you don't just give up and just walk downstairs and, and, uh, and help them out.
2: Brandon, I, I always wonder with the house hacks, like uh, about the the leasing or creating the lease agreement, because I, I feel like if, if it's a if it's a property where I'm like sharing walls with tenants, I feel like I would be even more strict with like what my lease is and, and how I'm screening these tenants. So, two questions for you: Did you create your own lease, or did you find someone you know s- someone floating online, or from Bigger Pockets? And then B, what was your your tenant screening process like to make sure you weren't you know living next to to maniacs?
1: Yeah, so um. I guess the first part with the lease, so my lease is basically a, a, a mishmash of my own personal, what I want, because <laughs> you're the boss, so you can, you, I mean, within the law. <laughs> so a lot of it is what do we want? So if there's any kind of parking restrictions, we want to give ourselves more spots, anything like that, we put that in first. Um, and then after that, it's, it, I, I've known, I have a, a pretty good network. So I've reached out and say, hey, could you send me a lease? Another the property management sent me, sent me theirs. This person sent me theirs. I kind of took time to, to mesh it up to what makes the most sense and what's fair, but also you know relatively strict at the same time that would uh, eliminate any kind of problems. And then I pass it to an attorney um, to review it just to make sure that it's legit and I'm not you know breaking any laws. And um, that's how we did it. And I'm sorry. What was your second question? I'm sorry about that.
2: No, no, that's that, that's totally fine. Because one more follow up on on the lease agreement. So you mentioned like the the additional parking spaces that you'd like. Are there any other things you feel like, like that you've added in that have you know made it easier for you as the as the landlord?
1: Um, I would say uh, anything that can make my life easier, like methods of payment. I only allow payment electronically or through personal check. There's no cash. There's no money orders. Um, just. Uh, I would say, um, quiet hours, you know, things like that, which within within a law, you know, after nine or 10 o'clock, whatever the law is, um, things like that, things that make me comfortable, me and my wife comfortable living there um, and make our lives easy is really what I'm trying to (laughs) put in the lease.
2: Trying to accomplish. So then the the follow up question was, what's your screening process? Like, how are you how are you making sure you don't have, you know, Jack Nicholson from a uh, what's the movie where he went crazy? Why well, I can't think of uh, it right now. The Shining. The sh- yes. Uh, moving in next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: I, to speak on that, the first thing is, unfortunately, we're all crazy. You never know who's going to walk in the door. They could have the best credit. So it, it kind of sucks. But you can still vet to hopefully eliminate that. Um, I would say uh, I've, again, bigger pockets. listen to podcasts. I've kind of collected all these different criteria that others have used, such as three times the, uh, you know, um, your income. What is it? Three times the, your... Three times the rent is what you bring in monthly. Um, that's definitely a, a big one. Credit scores. I, I, a lot of times in my uh, criteria, I put preferable, not necessarily required, just to not just to cover myself because a lot of times in classy neighborhoods, you won't get somebody with a 650 credit score, but they may fall in at a 625 or a 600. So, um, and it's all you know, the other general stuff, you know, landlord checks from previous landlords, um, verification of income is definitely what I require. Um, and a lot of it is just visually watching the tenants as they're walking through your. That's one of my criteria. I don't know if that's illegal or not, but I do it. Um, and it's not discriminating. It's just seeing the vibe when they do open houses. So I only allow people to apply if they come through my open house. And it's, you know, you, you just want to watch out for the ones that are just very needy right from the start. And you're just like, oh, what about this? What about this? Oh, that's ugly. Oh, this is just like, no, that's this is not going to work because you know, you're going to be a super needy tenant. I just don't have time.
0: Brandon, are you rehabbing any of these properties or are they pretty much turnkey that you're purchasing?
1: All have been relatively turnkey. Um, you know, we have one that's I would say they're all, you know, early 1900s houses. So it's they're not renovated. So there's there's still a small rehab that we've had to do, like turn a unit. Um but nothing significant. We've, we we, we kind of knew what we were getting into from the start. A lot of these properties and there's small projects like, you know, replacement of deck boards and uh, replacement of doors and things like that that we've kind of hired out little by little over time, but nothing significant.
2: Gotcha. So one other thing I want to hit, Brandon, and you've mentioned this a couple of times is, is how your network has played a role. You talked about getting your lease, you lean on some other, uh, investors and you know, you, there's some people in your life you can't talk to about why you're doing this house hacking strategy, but you have other investors that, that know why and can see it. So I'm just curious, like what steps have you taken to, to kind of build your network?
1: Yeah. Um, it all started honestly with, I would say with my local RIA, you know, when we were back in our single family, we started out by driving an hour out to those meetings once a month. And, um, Just getting, you know, submerged in in the business and how it all works. And from there, I just realized, like, your network is your net worth, as they say. So, starting to collect cards from these people and then um, realizing, like, even from the start, oh, I had this problem. I need an attorney. Oh, I had this attorney's card from this meetup I went to. I could reach out. And then it it clicked with me, like, just start networking like crazy because all the resources you need are all out there. You just got to be out there. And after a while, it'll become so easy that... All you have to do is, um, I I label all my contacts like agent, lawyer, you know, plumber. So literally I just jump in my contacts and say, oh, I got a leak, plumber, in my contacts. You get five of them, knock it out, and it just becomes so easy um, after you know so many people.
0: (laughs) Can you just say what a RIA meetup is and how would someone find one?
1: Got it. So a RIA is, I believe it stands for real estate. Oh my God, I should know what RIA stands for, real estate. I a <laughs> no,
0: no. investment association. Here we go. Sorry, I just have. I just. I just. I don't know. I'm guessing. I. I kn- I've heard of RIA. but that sounds I don't about so right. For sure. Yeah.
1: I've never actually like from the start. Never actually went. But yeah. Um. So RIA is a, a a local organization. Usually, definitely every state I believe has a RIA, and then there's local. You know, there may be small localities that have RIA's as well. But a RIA is an organization that basically um, teaches you. It, uh, about real estate, provides the fundamentals on real estate, provides the network opportunities on real estate within your market. So it's very common to um, have, you know, to have RIAs of 50 to 100 people. It's it's one of the most common um, meetup platforms or organizations you should have in your uh, localities, wherever you are.
0: Okay, awesome. I want to get into our deal review. So do you have a property that you want to share with us?
1: Sure. Uh, I think... Okay. Honestly, I think the first one is probably the best. Uh, it'll always be the best. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and then we can kind of go into the story of it. So um, what type of property was this?
1: So this was a three family uh, in New Britain, Connecticut.
0: And what was the strategy you were using with it? Um,
1: just use our savings. <laughs> go 20% down and, um, and live in it. It was really, it was really straightforward <laughs> for this one. We had to we have to find a property that we can live in. That was the hardest part because there were no properties at the time when COVID kicked in.
0: And the plan was to hold this property even after you do, you were no longer living in it?
1: Correct. Yeah. The plan was to live in it for okay. one year and move on to the next.
0: And what was the purchase price?
1: The purchase price was 286000
0: Okay. And did you do any rehab and put any money into it?
1: Um, we did have to turn one unit. Uh, we did it ourselves. So it was cheap money wise, but it was very expensive time wise. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and did you, did you go and get this property, um, refinanced at all? Or have you cut the, the original loan on it with the 20% down?
1: Yeah. So we, uh, we haven't pulled a refinance, but we did pull a HELOC. Oh. Um, a buddy of mine through my net, through my network <laughs> said, "Hey, <laughs> your property probably, probably uh, you know appreciated a bit over the last you know year and a half. You should consider a HELOC while you can." It um, turns out you know there was a, you know I think a little over forty or fifty grand in equity in the property, and we now have a HELOC. So yeah.
0: Well, do you want to kind of go into the story, starting off with how you actually found the deal?
1: Sure. So it was a. It was an MLS deal, actually. Um, so no off market, nothing special, just my wife and I looking every day at the at the realtor.com alerts that come in. <laughs> and um, this one popped up. Um, I think for us, leaving the single family, it would have been hard for us to take uh, a property that needed a significant amount of work. So the, the balance was finding something that needed not a lot of work that was still relatively nice to live in. So we did find a property that was relatively nice to live in. Um, uh, on the MLS, uh, it was a three bed. I mean, well, It's it's a th- it's a triplex. But our specific apartment that we were in was a three bed, one bath. So it gave us a space that we needed to kind of feel like it's it's kind of a home instead of like a one bed crunched in the corner. So it was a a triplex that we you know we basically found the MLS, um, paid two two eighty six for it. Um, yeah, three beds per floor, uh, and it, that was the first purchase.
0: How was your excitement the day you closed on that? Like making this transition, like going from single family to house hacking, and like you already know, you are just going to accelerate your, you know, financial freedom. What was that like for you and your wife?
1: It was exciting, you know. It it knowing that next month that that fifteen hundred dollar mortgage we were paying is pretty much gone <laughs> <It> was like <laughs> I don't care what else happens. Like we are saving, you know, roughly fifteen hundred bucks a month now. Like to me, it's like freedom. It was freedom immediately. You know, it's the most free I felt in my life in a long time um, without the weight of these obligations of a mortgage and all the other stuff that comes with the house. So, um, you know, and then it, you know, I would say a little bit, a little bit of that quickly went away with, you know, realizing, oh, there's people living here with us that we have to kind of manage. (laughs) So we forgot about that part, but, um, but it all worked out. It was, it, it all worked out.
0: Hey, I would manage two tenants for 1500 bucks a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: one, one follow-up question to that, Brandon. Um, in, in terms of like choosing the right property, what did your analysis process look, look like? And what was it about this specific triplex that made you say, okay, this house is worth you know, whatever, $280,000?
1: Sure. Um, so the analysis involved a pockets calculator. I, I still think they have hundreds of them at this point done. Um, that was probably number 101, because they say to you know, do 100 before you <laughs> get into it, um, yeah. it was based on comps is how we came up to our valuation of the property. We looked at what other triplexes in that area sold for roughly, and we kind of stuck to our numbers. You know, we offered about maybe six grand over what, it, what others appraised for. We felt it was worth just to kind of give us an edge, um, and it worked. And uh, the other part of the evaluation was what the rents would bring in um, for that property, and looking at what the rents were bringing, we weren't too concerned with like, oh, we're gonna cash flow two thousand, three thousand, you know, whatever dollars. We were more concerned with how do we get rid of that fifteen hundred dollar mortgage that we're paying every month, and um, and also making sure the property's covered once we leave. Those were our two main criteria, and this property did that and a little bit more. You know, it, it actually paid us. I think once you ran the numbers truly, operation eighty two dollars a month we were profiting <laughs> and netting. So there you go. I can't complain.
2: So was this one of the properties where you uh, inherited tenants, or did you have to go out and screen folks uh, to fill those other two, uh, two units?
1: Uh, we, on this property, we inherited tenants. Today, we we've actually have two new tenants in that building, one still remaining that's inherited. But we had to bring in um, two, two new tenants um, since having that building. Um, we had an issue with one of the tenants. It was COVID, not paying, low-income low tenant, um, couldn't afford to keep up, uh, and we worked it out. That was the first tenant who left. And we were able to um, you know, go through the process like we talked about with vetting a new tenant and bringing a new tenant in. And uh, after we left, we were able to bring a new tenant in out into our unit.
0: Brandon, knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently negotiating with that tenant that stopped paying? Or would you have done the exact same thing? And what was that process?
1: I, honestly, I think I would have done the, same, the exact same thing I did, which was, um, you know, when you get into situations, you can't fight it. You you know because this your control is limited. I don't say the options are very limited. Someone who can't pay rent, you can't force them to pay rent. So the best, the next best case is the how can you work with them to get them out in a very nice way versus a force, a forceful way, which a lot of people would kind of go that route. Um, uh, what we did basically is rental assistance. You know, through my network, <laughs> I put it out there and said, hey, I'm having trouble with a tenant who's not paying. Like, what would you guys do? And right away, someone said, there's a rental assistance program in Connecticut. You should apply and work with the tenant. And we got paid out four months of, of advance rent. And uh, at the end of that four months, I worked with her that case. And she left a month four. So everything worked out.
0: Did you have an agreement for that where she knew that she was going to be leaving at the end of four months? Or is that something you guys had worked out at that the end of those four months?
1: It was a whole situation. And this is where I'm glancing over yeah. what really went on. <laughs> but it was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i would say it was a lot it was a bit of me pushing in a nice way like all right you can't afford to mm-hmm. live here bad things may happen to you if you stay not physically but you know like i may have to evict you with an it. eviction like, yeah yeah um yeah. so she had a social worker so i started working with the social worker to kind of see what route we can go to get her out is are there any programs for people having these issues that she was having um and month four she just said, I'm, I'm leaving. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, I don't know like exactly what I did, but I think just the continuing conversation, if I had just let it go and not said anything for four months, then we definitely would have been sitting here. I, I don't know if I, I, I that's one of the things that make you quit landlording. <laughs> if you, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, was, it was rough, but it all worked out.
4: <laughs> Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
2: Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash Rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash Rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash Rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com
2: slash host. Ashley, I want to ask you, I, I, I know we've chatted about this in the show before, but how? Like, did any of your tenants stop paying during COVID?
0: Oh, yeah. I had a couple and then the other investor that I do asset management for, he did. But the same thing, our property management company applied for these kind of rental assistance programs that were available because of COVID. The The problem was, was that they only paid back rent and it was, you know, you had to apply and then you wouldn't get funded for three months. So by that time, another three months had gone by and them not paying rent. And then mm-hmm. they, yeah. So um, we've gotten paid for the people that haven't um, paid, but then, you know, it would, the whole thing would start again. And I think there's been like two programs that have come out. So I've gotten like two lump sum payments from each of these programs But there has been one tenant that hasn't paid since March 2020 and has been relying on these programs. And so we're actually in the middle of the eviction for them finally because it's only uh, maybe been six months since evictions have been allowed in New York State. So just like a huge backlog of evictions that are being processed.
2: Man, yeah, I had to evict all of my short-term rental tenants too, so I, I, I totally feel you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the heart. <laughs> oh, man. Um, wait, so, Brandon, I want to go back to your deal. So if we can finish things off here. So I, I, I want to talk through the numbers just a little bit. So you, uh, you initially bought it with three units. Correct. You were living in, in one of them. Correct. You were profiting like 82 bucks a month. Yes. What does that property look like now that you've moved on to, to your second house hack?
1: Yeah, sure. So since then, um, you know, obviously COVID has resulted in rent increases. You know, we have paying tenants now, um, good paying tenants in that property. Um, so now I would say true the true net after expenses on that property, we probably pull about nine hundred to a thousand dollars a month, um, after all expenses. You know, net is hard to explain because when you get into real estate you realize like you have your up months, You have the you have the down months, and <laughs> that number fluctuates but uh but yeah i say about it i say roughly around a thousand dollars is what it's netting
0: that's awesome yeah. great job on that
2: yeah i'm trying to do i'm trying to do the math really quickly so if you're say you're netting even on the low end 900 bucks a month and you do that over 12 months that's about almost 11,000 bucks and you said you put down what 20%, 20% on this
1: property yes i believe it was around 60 something um, okay. To, yeah. So
2: divide that by 60 and you're at like almost a 20% cash on cash return, which is phenomenal, yeah. right? For a, for a long-term rental. Um, so congratulations, man. That's uh, that's amazing. You.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I didn't expect that, but uh, <laughs> things just worked out. It's just how to go.
3: <laughs>
2: so let me, if I can ask one follow-up question to that. So for the, the house act that you're in right now, is that one the three, the threeplex or the fourplex? Four family. So that one's a, a four-family. So, do you like? Can you just really quickly walk through the numbers on that one? Like, how much do you think you'll cash flow on on that property sure. uh, per month?
1: Yeah, sure. So this one was a this is was a this was more of a uh, somebody's uh, somebody. Maria mentioned, "Don't get I want unit-itis. <laughs> and it basically means don't rush to get units, which is what we did to this property. So, long story short, we paid. I want to say about four twenty-five on this property. Um, on this one, we do not necessary lift for, I guess you could say lift for free, but we still really, truly factor in expenses. So we're paying a couple of hundred bucks out of pocket on this property, but it's a much more expensive property in a much better neighborhood than where we were before. So with better neighborhoods comes more expensive properties. Um, but yeah, that's where we are right now.
0: What would your unit rent for? So if you were going to rent the unit you're living in for in right now, what would it rent for?
1: I would say somewhere between 12 to $1,300 a month.
0: And you're living there for a couple hundred. Yeah.
1: Oh, That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And in the end, to be honest, like the other units still, they kind of cover that rent anyway. So, but we still pay it because it's numbers. We have, I'm very like black and white. Like this is what this property demands. This is what we must pay. I don't care about what, how the other properties are performing, <laughs> <laughs> but it all works out.
0: Do you have a certain like buy box or criteria for the properties that you're purchasing? Um,
1: It's, ch- it's changed since we first started. When we first started, it was all cash flow. Yep. We want cash flow. We want cash flow. Um, but as a, you know, as I become a, a seasoned investor or learning, you know, it's not we're thinking more of a big picture long term. So for us, it's more of being able to acquire properties for little to no down money. And there I prefer it. I would prefer a more turnkey property that doesn't need a ton of repairs. The cash flow may not be there now on them. But again, I'm thinking 10 years from now honestly, with everything that we purchase, you know, uh, we put our places, we put ourselves in a place where our, our living expenses are so low that we don't need to chase after a ton of cash flow. Would it be nice? Definitely. But, um, I'm more concerned with just acquiring properties over the next 10, 15 years.
0: I want to take us to our mindset segment, Brandon. So are there any expectations you had getting into real estate that now that you are an investor, you realized are not even reality?
1: Mm. Uh, yes, I would say, um, I don't know if it's necessary mindset, but uh, uh, cash flow, uh, it's not what you think it is. Um, as a beginning investor, especially buying older properties, you realize that a lot of that is absorbed through old property stuff, old pipes, leaky roofs, um, all that stuff. So I would say cash flow is definitely one of those things that, it's not as real as it seems, you know, um, so just be careful. Uh, getting into real estate, thinking that you're going to cash flow significantly because you may not when you really factor in the true cost of ownership of of, of uh, property.
0: That's such a good point. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right, Brandon, I want to take us to our next segment, which is our rookie request line. So for all of you that are listening, if you'd like to get your question featured on the show, you can give us a call at 888-5-ROOKIE and we might pick your uh, question for the show. So Brandon, are you ready for today's question? I'm ready. So today's question is from Alex, who's in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Alex says, I have about $350,000 for a down payment for a small multifamily, which is barely enough to really even cover a down payment in the Bay Area. I was thinking about house hacking, but my question is, should I go that route and find something to house hack here in the Bay Area, or maybe go a cheaper route and rent and use that money to invest out of state where my money might go a little further? Thank you so much. Mm. What are your thoughts on that, Brandon?
1: Good question. Good question. I would say do both. But to be honest, it's very feasible to do both. Um, find, if, Assuming this is his first, first purchase, uh, buy a house hack, you know, with a low down payment. Lower your expenses. You know, forget, don't start with trying to acquire, you know, 100 units. Start by lowering your expenses, your living expenses. Um, and then go from there. Because at that point, you have a property. You are an investor. It's not like... You're just doing it, and lower expenses. It's two-sided. You save expenses, and you get the end. You get a, 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 a property, whether it's a single or a multifamily, and then from there, you can then save all that money you were paying in rent or in a mortgage, and then reinvest that somewhere else into another state. So at least in the meantime, you're living for cheap, while you're banking so much more than you would if you weren't. And then give yourself six months a year, come up with your, f- your future plan, and then buy property out of state.
0: Yeah, I think, Brendan, you have a a very valid point is it doesn't mean that you can't do both, maybe just doing one first and then the other. And, you know, either one you do will be a good opportunity for you to get into the next one. And I think that, um, Alex, you should look at the numbers on each of these scenarios. So if you do a house hack, how much will you be saving compared to paying rent? And then also look at if you buy out of state, how much cash flow are you going to get? So which number is higher? Are you going to be saving, you know, $2,000 a month if you house hack? But are you going to be making $2,000 a month in cash flow if you buy an out-of-state property with mm-hmm. that that same dollar amount? So I think look at those scenarios, too. Um And if you get appreciation, take that into factor too. And, you know, the Bay Area, you may get more appreciation than if you're going and buying these cash flowing duplexes in Detroit too. So I think it's important to not just take into account the cash flow, but also appreciation too. Okay, Brandon, now onto the toughest part of the interview, the rookie exam. What is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode?
3: Mm.
1: I would say if you are, if you currently don't have a property and you're, you're, you're a rookie, you have nothing yet, think about what your life would look like if you didn't have to pay your current rent or if you do have a property, a single family, a mortgage. What would your life look like? What, how much more would that add on to what you, what's possible for you? And then take action from there. You know, really just explore your finances after that and see, you know, how much of a, a, a difference it would make. It would allow you to buy that first investment property, just like we just talked about. Um, It it would allow for a lot. Even if you don't want to move so fast, it would just free you up and allow for um, mental freedom to think about your next step. So, yeah.
2: Next question for you, Brandon. What is one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business?
1: Um, My wife and I, we use Tenant Cloud for our property management currently.
0: Okay. And where do you plan on being in five years?
1: Mm, That is a good question. I would say... uh, we may be in a single family. I'm not sure yet. Uh, my life is so dynamic. I just kind of go with the flow at this point. Uh, still acquiring still acquiring um, properties. We may not necessarily be in the multifamily space because um, as I'm learning, there's multiple streams of different types of income you can have. So definitely being in a place of uh, multiple streams of income. You know, um, we're exploring the Airbnb uh, route now for our next house hack. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. If we enjoy that, we may go that route. Um, so I'd say... Having at least two to three streams of income is kind of where we want to head uh, moving forward into the future.
0: That's awesome. And I don't think we asked this, but is your wife in a W-2 job right now? She still is. Is Yes, she still is. Yeah. So maybe she's the next one. I'm
1: telling her, like. (laughs) Could have
0: her job in five years. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, before um, we end the show, I want to give a shout out to this week's rookie rock star who is Ryan Burnham. Uh, He just closed on a fourplex in Minnesota on Friday. It is house hack number two, three and a half percent down for the down payment at 4.625% on the mortgage. And The total income is going to be $2,680 to $2,700 monthly, um, and that includes the coin-operated laundry that is on-premise. So uh, Ryan said, living almost for free in one of the units. Congratulations, Ryan. That's really awesome, and thank you so much for sharing. If you guys want to be uh, featured as our Rookie Rockstar, make sure you join our Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and leave your win for us, um, on there. Or you can also message Tony or I on Instagram at welfare rentals or at Tony J Robinson. So Brandon, thank you so much. Um, we've appreciated you coming on here and sharing your house hacking journey. Can you please let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you?
1: Sure. I would say the best place to reach me is, uh, probably Facebook. Um, I believe my my tag is a uh, Rush DPI, R U S H D is in dog P is in Paul I is in the letter I. Um, yeah, just hit me there. My website is uh, Dartmouth PI is in Paul and I again dot com. So DartmouthPI.com. and you can message me through there. And um, that's probably it.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, we really enjoyed having you, and we can't wait to see uh, your journey across the next five years and beyond. So thank you for joining us. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. If you guys love this episode, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see you guys next time.